Matthew chapter 28 and Acts chapter 1. Well, today we're going to be concluding our series on um, God's dream team. And what we've been doing is looking at different essential elements of the church in order for us to be uh, the church that God dreams for us to be. Um, we, we know from Scripture that God has a desire, a specific desire, uh, for His church. And so we've been looking at some different things uh, to, to hopefully, as we learn them, we don't just learn them with our minds, but we actually figure out how to apply them. And then as we apply them, then our church becomes more of the church that God intends for us to be. And so today we're going to uh, finish this series as we look at the last essential. And that is that God's dream team is a team of mission. We're a team of mission. When I was in, in high school, um, every single year... Uh, when we got ready to start our football season, we had a team meeting, and it was at that team meeting that our coaches gave us our, our mission statement for the year. And uh, these mission statements were um, not just um, our goals, that, that was a statement of what we wanted to accomplish that year. Now, at, at where I grew up, and, and as with a lot of other schools, um, the ultimate goal for any sports team in high school is to win a state championship. That's what they want to do. That's like the ultimate goal. But apart from that, our mission statements were something that, that went a different way or maybe even presented something a little bit different. Like my freshman year, our theme or our mission was respect, get some in 94. Because up until that year, every time we played and got the playoffs, no one seemed to respect us, even though we had been to the third round of the playoffs three straight years and had all this success in our past. Yeah, our rankings never showed it. People didn't respect us. So our coaches wanted us to play in such a way that at the end of that season, people would respect our football program. And when I was a sophomore, um, our, our mission was to be proud, never satisfied. To be proud of what we accomplished, but never satisfied, so we would continue to go. And then when I was a junior, our mission was to be uh, no weak link. That a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. So no weak links. And then my senior year, our mission was to finish the job. And I remember those by heart because they became such a prominent part of our lives for for three months at a time where we heard it every day. It was printed on our t-shirts. We saw it every day. We, we, it was something our coaches talked about. It was something that our coaches pushed. Yes, we had an ultimate goal to win a state title, but we had a mission that our coaches wanted us to accomplish, and none of those really had anything to do with winning a, a state championship. They had everything to do with accomplishing a set task that we had. Now, I believe in sports, having a clear mission is important, and it's essential to the success of a team, but the church itself needs to have a clear mission. The difference between the church's mission, though, and what the missions of a lot of sports teams are, is that coaches don't set the mission. Like, if we wanted to look at the church's team, a lot of times we would look at it like the pastor's the coach, and the, the members are the players, right? And so the coach sets the mission, and then the team takes the mission and applies it. No, that's not the way it works. It's the way it works in sports. It's not the way it works in church. In church, 
The mission is set by God. It is relayed to the people through the pastor, and then the people take the mission and apply it. I am not charged and never have been charged with the mission of the church. I've had people ask me before, Dwayne, what is the mission of our church? What do you want the mission of our church to be? And I have to look at them and go, that's not my job. I hate to tell you that. But that's not my job. My job is not to create a mission for Walika First Baptist Church. That's God's job. And the difference is we don't have to guess what it is. Because the mission for Walika First Baptist Church is the same mission as it is for First Baptist Church Henrietta. First Baptist Church Lone Grove. First Baptist Church Ada. First Assembly of God Wapanucka. I mean, you can just fill in the blanks with whatever church you want to put in there. Bible-believing churches, and their missions are all the same. And their pastor doesn't set the mission. Matter of fact, you need to be leery of a church where the pastor sets the mission. Because that's not his job. His job is to relay the mission that God has for it. So what is the mission of the church? Well, this morning as we look at this and we conclude our series... We're going to look at this idea of mission because it, sh it shouldn't just be a buzzword. It should be something that is a part of who we are. It, it should be so the mission of the church should be so entwined into our DNA as a church that is naturally occurring. But the problem is the church in a lot of ways um, can be unified, and, and we're, we're called to be unified. We talked about that. Uh, we're, we're called to be a, a, a team of, of commitment. Uh, we need to be committed to Christ. We, we've talked about uh, being a team of worship and, and that worship is not just what we do in here. Worship is actually a way of life. And we can have all of those things, but if we lack the mission, then we really will never be the church that God's called us to be. Because the mission is what God established the church to do. And this morning, it's really simple. You've probably heard it a thousand times. You're going to hear it a thousand and one this morning. The mission is found in Matthew chapter 28 and also in Acts chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning. In Matthew chapter 28, we're going to read verse 19 and 20. <clears throat> and then we're going to flip over and read Acts chapter 1. Jesus actually begins speaking in, John, or in Matthew chapter 28 verse 18. He says this, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's... We to stop right there just briefly and realize that the mission that we have comes from the highest authority. And so no one has a higher authority to change this mission. That's why it's the same for our church as any other church, and it's been the same for 2,000 plus years, because it comes from the highest authority. Now look at what he says. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now flip over to Acts chapter 1. Jesus is just about to be um, ascending into heaven, and he's kind of given some last instructions here. And he says in verse 7 of Acts chapter 1, it is not for you to know the time or the season which the Father has put in his own authority. They had just asked him, are you going to go to Jerusalem now and set up your earthly kingdom? And he says, no, those times are not for you to know. That's God's timing. But look at what he says in verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. 
God, today I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word. And as we begin to examine it this morning, I pray as I do every week that I would decrease and your spirit living in me would increase. And if the words would be shared today would be your words and not mine. And Father, you would impact our hearts and our lives with your word that we'd be forever changed by it, and that, Father, it would challenge us to not just take this in with our minds, but to live it out with our lives every day, that we are called to be a church on mission. Father, we can do a lot of other things, but if we lack our mission, then we lack the essential element of what you called us to do. And I pray, Father, you would help us in that manner this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, throughout these two different texts, there are four truths about our mission as a church that I want to share with you, (coughs) excuse me, this morning. And the first thing that I want to share with you about our mission and the essentialness of our mission is I want to give you a picture of what missions is from a scriptural standpoint or a picture of what our mission is. In Matthew 28, he uses the words, go and, and make disciples. Of all nations. In, in Acts chapter 1, he uses the word witness. You, you will be my witnesses or my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So in those two few words or those few words I just shared with you, we see exactly what the church's mission is. And I want to break it down using a couple different ideas. Number one, the first aspect of our church's mission or the church's mission is that we are, that our mission is to go and make disciples. That's what the church has been instituted to do. You see, we, we do a lot of things, and the church is beneficial for a lot of things. We need the church for fellowship. Absolutely, we do. We need the church to be challenged in our faith. We do. We need the church to hold us accountable. We, we need that. Uh, we need the church for encouragement. Yes, absolutely. All those things are essential. All those things are true. But the essential mission that the church was established for wasn't for just us to come together and fellowship with one another, hold each other accountable, uh, equip one another, uh, and, and encourage one another, challenge one another, whatever you want to say. That's not our essential mission. Our essential mission is to go and make disciples. Now, to do that, we need each other. So we need to come together. We need to encourage one another. We need to challenge one another, hold one another accountable. We need to pray for one another. But our mission is not to come and sit in here. Our mission is to go out there. That's what the church has been called to do for 2,000 years. And and if we're ever going to be the church that God has called us to be, we've got to understand that our mission is not to come in and just sit here. We have been commanded to go and make disciples. Well, how do we do that? (coughs) Well, he says in verse 20 of Matthew 28 that we make disciples by teaching them to observe all that Jesus had commanded them. So to to teach the teachings of Jesus is how we make disciples of Jesus. We need to teach them the gospel. We need to teach them that Jesus is the son of the living God. He is God in the flesh, came born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, completely perfect, without any sin whatsoever. Though he was tempted, he never sinned. Lived a perfect, sinless life, willingly sacrificed himself on the cross of Calvary, shedding his blood to pay the penalty price of sin for you and for me. Then, after he was crucified on the cross, he died, was laid into a grave, was buried for three days, and then three days later, he rose from the grave, thus conquering death and the grave for you and I, the gospel. 
We need to teach people the gospel. The gospel is what saves people. We can't teach them everything else if we don't give them the gospel. I'm telling you, church, I've said this before. We, we've got to stop expecting lost people to act saved. They can't. We can give them all the morality from Scripture we want to, but they can't act saved. They can only be saved. And all those moral things that we want to teach can't save them. The gospel saves them. And so we need to make sure when we go out and we talk about those moral morality issues, which we need to stand for, <clears throat> we must never forget that we're to ultimately teach the gospel because the gospel is what saves them. But we don't just teach the gospel to make disciples. We need to teach the necessity of repentance and faith. See, just knowing the good news of Christ doesn't save you. Jesus said that you can only come to God through him, and Scripture says there's only two ways to do that, and one of those is to repent of your sin, and the other one is to place your faith in what Jesus did on the cross. So just learning and understanding the gospel is not enough. Just coming, bringing them into the church or having them go through baptistry water is not enough. What they need is to repent, to turn away from sin, and to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross of Calvary. And if we don't teach that, then there's no way for them to ultimately be saved. So we're told to make disciples. We do that by teaching them the gospel, by teaching them the necessity of repentance and faith. And we need to teach them the essential truth that Jesus is their only way. They may reject Jesus and the gospel, but we need to make sure they understand that Jesus is their only hope. That the, the peril that comes from rejecting Jesus. I wrote this quote down in the back of your bulletin. I'm going to read it to you. It's by C.H. Spurgeon. It says, If sinners be damned... At least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. That unwarned that C.H. Spurgeon was talking about was the peril of someone rejecting Jesus. They may reject him, but the peril that awaits them if they do they need to know, and we need to tell them. You don't have to be mean about it, but you need to be honest with them. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That word no one means, it's really a great word in Greek. It means no one. Nobody, not a single person will make it to heaven apart from Jesus. So we've got to teach these things. So we, we teach these things. Now, now, that's what we're called to do is to make disciples. We do that by teaching the gospel, teaching the necessity of repentance and faith and the peril of rejecting Jesus and what comes with that. But we also need to know where we need to do that. And he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that we, well, actually Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, he says, go into all the nations. So we're going to every nation. And in, Matthew, or in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The idea is that missions is to take place everywhere. Everywhere. We are to be a missionary or, or take our mission and start, <coughs> excuse me, and our mission needs to go to the ends of the earth. Now, that mission starts at home. That's what Acts chapter 1 
is all about. And we, we need to make sure we nail that down. Because there's a lot of churches out there that go to the jump to the ends of the world to tell people about Jesus, which is not a bad thing, but they don't do it in their own hometown. Where were the disciples when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses? They were in Jerusalem. What did he say first? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. The mission of the church starts at home and then branches out. And let me tell you how that works. It doesn't work just because a church decides to put a group together and go to the literal ends of the earth to take a mission trip. The way that works is, is we reach people in Walika, and then as they go on their mission and as God takes them through their life, they take that same mission wherever they go. That's how that works. In this church alone, just off the top of my head, we have a guy that is pastoring a church in East Texas where all the sinners are. They need to come back across to the promised land. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> we have a guy in this church that, that grew up here, was saved here, and is preaching the gospel in East Texas. Where did he get that gospel? In Walika. He's taking it to the ends of the earth. He's got people in his church, in his churches that he's pastored, that have been saved, that have moved off and begin to branch out. And that's how that spreads. It's not just taking a group of people to another country. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. What I'm saying is true mission starts at home because then God moves people where God wants them to be. And then the gospel reaches out. I don't know about you, but I think 10 people going on mission to uh, somewhere across the world is a great thing. But I think 100 people going on mission wherever God puts them has a greater impact. 100 people with the gospel will make a greater impact than 10 people with the gospel if they're doing the same thing. But if 100 people don't take the gospel, then those 10 people do more with it. You see what I'm saying? And, and so we need to take the gospel. We need to take it to the ends of the earth. And it's not about taking mission trips. It's to go wherever and wherever God tells us to go. We are to take the mission the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, that's what missions is. Now, let me show you real quick the second thing this morning, and that is the perpetuity of our mission. Or if you don't like that long word, you can just say the continualness of our mission. L look at it in, in, again in Matthew chapter 28. It says, go therefore and make disciples. That word go is written in the present tense and the way that would literally be translated in English would be going, going, or as you're going. See, going, taking our mission and being a church on mission is not about a one-time thing or an every-other-day thing or, or a special event thing. Being on mission is not once and done. It's not occasional. It is continual. It is as you are going every day. So our mission is to take the gospel, we do that to the ends of the earth, and we do that every day as we are going. As we are living our life, as we're doing the things that God has put in front of us to do, as we go to work every day, as we go to school every day, as we go wherever we're going during the day, that is where we are to be a missionary. We are to take it to the ends of the earth continually 
every single day. You know, some churches, their idea of missions is just taking a mission trip. It's a big deal for them. That's our missions. For some people, missions is about just simply about what we're about to do in March, and that is to take up offerings so other people can do missions. For other, other churches, missions is related to maybe a vegetation uh, ministry that they have that takes place once a week. And it's almost like they can they check it off their, their religious box that, th- th- you know, we're supposed to pray, we're supposed to read our Bible, we're supposed to study our Sunday school lesson, we're supposed to make contacts, we're supposed to outreach. That's what our Sunday school little envelopes, that's what we check those off, right? And I'm not downing those about keeping record of that. What I'm saying is, if we're not careful, then we relate our mission as just something we check off our box. But that's not what missions is. Missions is as we go every day, every moment of every day. And so that's what we do. It's continual. It's not something we just do every now and then. Now, the third thing about missions this morning or about our mission is the people of mission. Who's to do this? Well, I said at the beginning, the mission of the church is different than than sports in that uh, the coach doesn't set the mission. God sets the mission. The coach just relays that mission. But it is very similar to sports in, in this one aspect. The people who accomplish the mission are sitting in the pews. That, that's true. The people who accomplish the mission in sports are the athletes. The people who accomplish the mission in the church are the people of the church. But here's the difference. Whereas, as a coach, I can't go out on the field and compete with my players. And sometimes I wish I could. But as a pastor, you better believe I can get in the field and I can play. And I can compete. Because I'm a part of the body just as much as you are. But I'm not the only one who's to do missions. And guess this, our missionaries that we send out, that we're paid through our convention, are not the only ones that are to do missions. We, everyone that's a believer in Christ, is to be on mission. And that's what Scripture tells us. Look look at it in Matthew chapter 28 real quick. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. Now get this quote, All that I've commanded you. Who's he talking to? He's talking to his disciples. He's just given them a command. Go. As you're going, every day, make disciples, right? Is that not what he just did? Teaching them to obey what? All the commands that I've given you. I don't know about you, but wouldn't that qualify as one of the commands that he's just told them about? He just gave them a command. Then he says, tell them to obey the commands. So going is essential for who they were to reach as well. That's how the gospel spread. They took the gospel. They didn't have social media. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have newspapers and magazines and radio, and they didn't have all that we have today to spread the gospel. They had the word of mouth. They didn't even have the printed word yet. All they had was word of mouth. A witness. What's a witness? It's someone who gives testimony to what they've seen, what they've heard, and what they've experienced. And that's all they had. They took that witness everywhere they went. And people responded to their witness everywhere they went. 
and this church, the church of Christ, began to grow and blossom and flourish a lot more and a lot faster than we accomplish it today with all the technology we have. You want to know why? Because all the technology in the world will not win people to Jesus if you're not a witness for Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And it's not just for you, and it's not just for me, it's not just for our missionaries around the world, it's for every believer in Christ. We are to take the mission, the gospel, to the ends of the earth. And then the last thing I want to share with you this morning about our mission that makes it very important, and don't miss this aspect, is the power behind our mission. Where do we get the power to do all this? We'll flip back over to Acts chapter 1 and look at verse 8 real quick. Jesus tells them, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I think another issue that, that the church faces is a misunderstanding of the power behind accomplishing our mission. You see, in our culture, we recognize that hard work, hard work goes a long way. If you work hard enough, you can be successful. And so just work and give it all that you have. And if you just work hard, you know, good things will happen to you. And, and, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't work hard because Scripture says that we ought to work hard. Matter of fact, Scripture says that everything our hand finds to do, we ought to do it as we're doing it for the Lord. So there's nothing wrong with hard work and all that. But we need to understand that, that, if you, that working hard enough is not going to accomplish our mission because we don't have the strength to really accomplish it ourselves. What I mean by that is the church doesn't supply their own power. We don't supply in and of ourselves the power to accomplish our mission. So where do we get this power from? Jesus says we get this power from the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is the power behind our mission. I will never have enough power in and of ourselves to accomplish the mission of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that that can be accomplished. In 1997, a man by the name of David Huxley set out to set a world record. His desire was to pull a 747 jetliner which weighed 187 tons, not pounds, 187 tons, 100 yards. So what they did is they went to an airport and they set the 747 jetliner up on a runway. They set a mark 100 yards down, exactly where 100 yards were. Then they tied a rope to the front of the airplane's wheel, that front wheel, and then with all of his strength and with all of his might, David Huxley set out to pull that jetliner 100 yards. He accomplished that feat in one minute and 20 seconds. It took him a minute and 20 seconds to pull 187 tons, 100 yards. Now, we can applaud his effort. That's pretty phenomenal. 
But David's pulling of the jetliner resembles a little bit about churches doing missions in our own power in that we can give all we have and we might advance the mission of God's word a hundred yards. But he wasn't designed to move the jetliner. The engine was. And the engine could push that 187-ton jetliner 100 yards a whole lot more efficiently and a whole lot more quickly than he ever could on his own. Because he wasn't designed to pull that that far. You and I aren't designed to take the mission of God to the ends of the earth in our own strength. In our own strength, we might be able to pull the mission of God a hundred yards, but we would never be able to pull the mission of God to the ends of the earth because we're not designed to do that. But guess who is? The Holy Spirit. Now guess where the Holy Spirit resides? He resides in each and every single believer in Christ. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I can begin to accomplish the mission that God has for us. What's the mission? Advancing the gospel. When are we to do this? Every day. As we're going. Everywhere we go to the ends of the earth. Who's to do that? All of us. Where do we get the power from? You don't get it from me. And I don't get it from you. We all get it from the Holy Spirit. We only get the Holy Spirit, though, at salvation. So if you're not saved, you can't go on mission. You have to be saved first. But once you are saved, once you've repented of that sin and placed your faith in Christ and trusted what Jesus did on the cross and became a child of God, then the Holy Spirit resides within you, and then you can go on mission and see God do things that you could never accomplish on your own. I was saved in May of 1989. So just almost 30 years ago. Just, just a few months shy of 30 years ago that I got saved. And I haven't done everything for God that I know he's called me to do, and I haven't given him my best every time that he's called me to do it, but I guarantee you this. The Holy Spirit has done more in my ministry than I ever could have done on my own. There's no way for someone to pastor a church on their own. There's no way for someone to advance the gospel on mission on their own. We do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. 